The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Duncan. I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Chris Jones taking a shot at Cody Fajardo. Shots fired. Woo. Bo Levi Mitchell's upcoming roster bonus in Cowtown. Ticats linebacker Simone Lawrence feeling snubbed. Ouch. Ottawa finally filling out their front office staff and some big coaching changes in Toronto. But first, Dunkster. Chris Jones brought the band back together in Edmonton, hiring Stephen McAdoo and Jarius Jackson to fill the same roles they had in 2015 during that Grey Cup run, the last for the Edmonton football team. Do you think this staff will be able to repeat their success in 2022 and win a CFL title? Well, I'll say this. It's a good staff, right? It's a good staff. I think it's a bit of a chaotic staff. I think that's fair to say, but it's a good staff, and that's been proven by the success they had during their original stint in Edmonton. They picked up Marcus Howell, who's with them again now, when they moved to to Saskatchewan in 2016. They had good success there. To me, the big question is who's going to be under center, and we're going to talk about the quarterback position a lot today across the league, Dunkster, but to me, the biggest question in Edmonton is Who's your quarterback going to be? Because Edmonton has three quarterbacks under contract right now in Nick Arbuckle, Taylor Cornelius, and Dakota Prukop. And I was in the call yesterday with the media availability with these three guys. I asked Stephen McAdoo, I asked Jarius Jackson straight up about Nick Arbuckle. They refused to comment on his status or his potential of starting in 2022, which wouldn't be a big surprise, Dunkster, if they didn't have a pre-existing relationship. But let's not forget, Jarius Jackson was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach in Toronto with the Argonauts this past season, where Nick Arbuckle spent almost the entire season. So to me, that's an indication that they are not comfortable with Arbuckle moving forward, in which case, I'm very interested to see who this coaching staff and new GM Chris Jones brings in at that position to try to answer that question based on what i know right now chris jones likes the traits that taylor cornelius has now some people might laugh other people can understand it because he's a big physical quarterback who has shown at times that he can push the ball down the field and has some sneaky athletic ability for a big dude it's hard to 
view him as a guy that maybe has high upside because of what he was dealing with when he was the starter in Edmonton during the 2021 season. A lot of people will blame Jamie Elizondo's offense and just the overall lack of want to from that team. And we've seen the criticism from Brock Sunderland, the GM, and Elizondo there that didn't build a culture that was very player-friendly or that got the best out of those guys. So Jones does see some traits in Cornelius that he likes, that said, in an ideal world, Edmonton would like to bring in a veteran quarterback to be able to allow Cornelius to develop more, learn from that guy, if they can get their hands on one. And when you look around the league, doesn't seem like there's going to be too many guys available that Jones might like. You hear the obvious connection between Jones and Michael Riley. Riley was a quarterback the last time when we referenced it off the top in this topic that helped Jones win a great cup and really led the Edmonton football team at the time to that great cup in 2015. Now, he's obviously under contract with the BC Lions in 2022, but Hodge, I think you would agree with this. All indications that I've gotten, at least, are that the Lions are telling people that they're going to have money to spend. So that would either mean Riley's going to have to rework his contract to stay there, or the Lions are content going forward with Nathan Rourke at an absolute bargain rate contract. Like Even if he hits all of his incentives, he's going to make around $100,000 because of the slotted contracts that the CFL draft rookies now have to sign. So... Riley could be a possibility if he wants to continue playing football. Then you look just down, I believe it's Highway 2 there in Alberta, to the situation in Calgary. We'll get into it more, but you don't think Chris Jones would like to have a guy like Bully Vi Mitchell who's won a couple great cups and knows how to get it done? I certainly think he would like to. Jeremiah Masoli started his career in Edmonton and is a pending free agent, has spent the last number of years, obviously, with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So those are the guys in terms of the veterans that I could see potentially being in play. Now, there's other factors there. It's not like Jones can just pick up the phone and either sign them tomorrow or work out a trade. That's going to take some doing behind the scenes. But those are the veterans that I could see Edmonton wanting to bring in. Yeah, and here's the exact quote. And, and you mentioned Taylor Cornelius. I'll give him this. If you take out his first awkward, you know, first first game or two, so there was some relief of Trevor Harris there, his first start. You know, he started on relatively short notice. And if you take out his last game, which was Edmondson's, what was it, third game in seven days, um, when they, you know, everyone was was dead tired and looked looked awful, and everyone knew the staff was getting fired, or at least suspected the staff was getting fired. If you just look at him between week nine and week fifteen, he threw nine touchdowns and four picks, which is pretty darn good. Um, yeah, you're eliminating a lot of interceptions by taking out the first two games and the last game. One could argue if that's fair or not, but we have seen a stint from Taylor Cornelius that was relatively successful. The other thing I'll say, and I got the exact quote from Jarius Jackson in front of me. He said, in reference to Arbuckle as a potential starter in 2022, quote, at this time, we're still evaluating as a staff and doing things of that nature. So we'll see where it goes from there. End quote. 
to me, if I'm Jarius Jackson and I have faith in Nick Arbuckle, I'm saying, absolutely, we've been around Nick for a year. We see him as a starter in this league. We believe he could win us a great cup. Boom. You end the conversation there. That's not <laughs> what happened. And that tells me, Dunkster, I think you're bang on talking about these other veterans who may come up around the league, whether they're pending free agents, right, or whether they, they need new deals and they, they're not yet renegotiating those deals. Uh, so I think there's there's certainly smoke there, and I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And we're probably going a little long here, but I think it's worth it, you know, potentially for the whole pod because these topics are so intriguing that you mentioned it right there and you read the quote verbatim. Now, I'll give you a little time here, but if you put in front of you what they said about Cornelius, it's much different. There was essentially no comment for Arbuckle, but there was for Cornelius. Now, money might play a factor into this. Arbuckle is set to make around $340,000 in what they call hard money in the CFL. So that's essentially, if he plays the majority of the season with Edmonton, let's say, hypothetically, he could make that much. Whereas Cornelius is under contract for 2022, even though he worked out for the Chicago Bears and could potentially sign an NFL deal within the window. I don't necessarily see that happening. So he comes back to Edmonton and makes the bare minimum $65,000, and he doesn't even have any bonuses available. So you're talking about, what does quick math tell you, a $200,000 plus difference in Cornelius to Arbuckle do we really think even just the two of us sitting right now being armchair GMs that Nick Arbuckle (laughs) is over $200,000 better than Taylor Cornelius I would say no so I'm sure Jones is looking at the same thing and the GM Jones is saying hey I can free up this money to potentially use that to entice a veteran quarterback to come here and hey if we don't get one we'll put some other pieces around Cornelius on offense to help him out Yeah, we know that Chris Jones wants to spend his money on the defensive side of the ball. If given the choice between, as you laid out, the $65,000 quarterback with a few weapons and then an absolutely loaded defense that's going to generate three, four, five takeaways a game, I think I know which one Chris Jones, the GM, is going to choose. He is his own defensive coordinator after all. Um, Here's the quote, by the way, from McAdoo. On Cornelius, quote, I think he showed some things in the games that he's played. Every quarterback goes through their bumps and bruises and learning process in the CFL and just football in general. He has some tools in his repertoire, and it's up to us to kind of get with him and develop those tools and make him more successful out there on the field, end quote. And again, the interesting part, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but the interesting part to me is he's commenting, not at length, but he's, he's giving a real comment on the status of Taylor Cornelius, who he's never coached before. And, you know, like McAdoo was only officially hired a few days ago in Edmonton, whereas he spent all of last year in the same room with Nick Arbuckle, <laughs> as did Jarius Jackson. Jarius Jackson as the OC and QB coach. And these guys are not talking about Nick right now. They're just talking about Taylor, who's the new kid on the block. So to me, that's that's really interesting, Dunkster. We have Bowley by Mitchell queued up as our next topic. Is there anything else you want to say, Dunkster? Because you reported Mitchell has a $100,000 roster bonus due on January 15th. Does John Huffnagel pay it? rework the contract, or even release the two-time Grey Cup champ and two-time CFL MOP? There seems to be a number of different scenarios unfolding here, but it's very clear to me that this bonus and this deadline 
is going to drive a decision, Hod. You all know this, but for the uninitiated out there, essentially if the Calgary Stampeders, and by that I mean Mr. Huffnagel, decide to pay Bo Levi Mitchell the $100,000 on January 15th, they're essentially committing to him as their quarterback for 2022 and paying that contract. So he actually has another $100,000 bonus due March 15th. So, you know, it's possible that you could pay Bo that 100000 in January and then try to rework the contract afterwards. But at that point, it gives even more leverage to Mitchell because he's already got that 100 k in his pocket. And the CFL, that's big money. We were just talking about Nick Arbuckle. He got a modest $5,000 signing bonus on the 2021 salary cap in Edmonton. So Jones would have no issue releasing him. But if Mitchell gets that bonus, Calgary is essentially saying, all right, we're committing to you as our quarterback for 2022. That said, they have gone to Mitchell and said, would you be open to reworking the contract? Partly because we want to be able to put better weapons around you, but also because they feel like 2021, and it wasn't, at all the most productive year in Bolivar Mitchell's career is probably arguably the worst year. That said, he did have a broken leg. So they want to try to make it beneficial for the team. And from Mitchell's perspective, if he does tear up this contract and sign a new one with the Stamps, it can actually benefit him potentially in netting more money on the signing bonus because of the tax loophole. If you're American, you get taxed less on that signing bonus instead of getting taxed on the roster bonus, let's say that you're going to get paid in January and February and all the way down the line. So there's a way here that it could benefit everybody, but there's going to become a certain point where maybe Mitchell's not want going to go below a dollar value just to stay in Calgary. So I think to me, that's really the decision here. Does Mitchell want to stay and continue his career in Calgary or does he want to potentially look elsewhere? It's certainly going to be an exciting storyline to follow. And we know it's going to happen soon, Dunkster, because as you laid out, the first bonus is due on January 15th. That's in 10 days from now as of the recording of this podcast, which is pretty exciting. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about our nation. The Ottawa Red Blacks finalized their front office staff under new general manager Sean Burke, hiring Brendan Tamman from Montreal and Chad Hudson from Saskatchewan. Do you like those moves? I do. First, Hudson, who behind the scenes, anybody you talk to in the league will rave about in terms of his ability on the computer with analytics and also the work that he puts and the detail that goes into his scouting. So I think... That's an intriguing addition for the Red Blacks to add a guy that's really, I would say, on the cutting edge in terms of how analytics are being used, especially in the CFL. I feel like we hear about it much more so in the NFL, but they are being factored into decisions behind the scenes in the CFL. So I certainly think Hudson will help in that role and also scouting. He's done a great job with Saskatchewan in terms of their Canadian talent. You look at the receivers that they brought in there that were able to do great work and develop a quick rapport with Cody Fajardo, right? Keen Schaefer-Baker, Braden Lanius, I would say, are top among those guys. And then you have some other intriguing potential dudes that are 
waiting in the wings, so to speak there. Terrell Janna comes to mind for me as well. So Hudson, I think, will aid on both of those fronts. And then Tamman, who we can't forget, is a Grey Cup winning general manager of the Rough Riders in 2013 on their home soil in a pressure-packed situation. I think he can be there, obviously, as a veteran scout, but potentially more importantly, to help Burke in his first-time role as being the GM. For all intents and purposes, he was a guy doing a lot of the GM-type things in Hamilton. He just didn't have the official title, but it still wasn't his job. So I think... Tamman being there as a sounding board for Burke can be really beneficial for the Red Blacks. Yeah, to me, a big part of, I mean, obviously you hire the best talent available, but one of the perks, let's say, of hiring someone away from a particular organization is the possibility that they can help bring some of that talent from their previous organization. And that's something that we've obviously seen with Sean Burke, right? There's a lot of speculation that part of the reason he was hired in Ottawa is that he's going to be able to deliver one of the two starting caliber quarterbacks that the Ticats had on their roster in 2021 when, let's face it, the Red Blacks had zero starting caliber quarterbacks. Um, so to me, I'm, I'm curious to see who could potentially come over from Saskatchewan. You highlighted their Canadian receivers dunkster. They're off the charts. Uh, it's possible that Braden Lenius is going to sign a contract down south. He's had a bunch of workouts in the NFL. Uh, but even then, I think there's still meat on the bone there for the Riders because we all know the Red Blacks need an injection of talent, particularly on, on the offensive side of the football, and I think they're Canadians as well. So I'm intrigued to see who comes along with Hudson and Tamman as part of these additions. That's right, my man. Not only do you have the opportunity to bring the talent from those franchises that you were with, you can bring the thought processes over, but also you might have an idea of how these teams are going to attack free agency. So let's say, and you mentioned the quarterback spot with Burke, he'll have an idea of who Orlando Steinauer wants to keep in Hamilton as the number one guy, QB1, because it's highly unlikely they're going to be able to unable to keep both Dane Evans and Jeremiah Masoli in black and gold. So that can help him in his planning and his attacking in terms of what he might do overall in free agency. Chris Jones told Terry Jones of the Edmonton Sun, quote, I just don't see him as a passer, close quote, referring to Saskatchewan Rough Riders franchise QB Cody Fajardo. What do you make of the comment, Mr. Hodge? Well, here, here's the deal. We, we've talked about this on the pod before, Dunkster. Cody Fajardo spoke to the media several times this year and addressed, to some extent, the way in which negativity on social media or negative comments, whether it be from the fan base in Saskatchewan, whatever, haters around the league, have, have gotten to him, right? They've bothered him. Jason Moss talked about this, the OC, saying, you know, I didn't realize that this stuff bothered Cody to the extent that it did, but I'm glad he talks about it. We've seen that. And I think it's not at all a coincidence that quite literally a week after becoming the head coach and general manager of this, the, the Edmonton Elks, who, whose primary job, 
right, is is to be better than the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the West Division standings. The first thing Chris Jones does is publicly take a shot at Cody Fajardo. He did not need to bring up Cody Fajardo. He was speaking essentially in defense uh, of, of Stephen McAdoo, right, who was the OC in Saskatchewan when Chris Jones brought his whole coaching staff over there in 2016. And essentially, the picture that Jones was painting was, hey, Saskatchewan was successful in 2019 because of McAdoo, not not because of Fajardo, because at the end of the day, Fajardo's not a very good passer. To me, I don't think it's a coincidence that this was said. I think this is Chris Jones playing head games, and guess what? All is fair in love and war and football. So, Chris Jones, if you want to take shots at Cody Fajardo to try and get in his head in January... I don't blame you. And if you're Cody Fajardo, the best thing to do is turn this nonsense off. Don't pay attention. Focus on what's going to make you better for 2022 because I think that at times Cody Fajardo let his emotions get the better of him in 2021. Jones knows what he's doing here. He's the 100%. ultimate heel if you want to talk in WWE terms. And you mentioned it, buddy. Like He wants to get inside the head of Cody Fajardo as much as possible. That is certain. And I think you alluded to it as well. He also wanted to fire a shot at the riders for saying, hey, how did you let McAdoo go? Because there was a lot of anger, even amongst the fan base there in Regina and wherever Rider Nation happens to be across the world, aimed at McAdoo. But he made a fair point. When you look at the numbers and what Fajardo was able to do in 2019, Versus under Jason Moss in 2021, with an entire year in 2020, albeit virtually, to learn his offense, that there is no question that you look at McAdoo. And we got to remember here, right? Fajardo signed with the Riders in the offseason leading into the 2019 season. So it wasn't like he had any extra time like he did with Moss to learn McAdoo's offense. Obviously, Zach Claros was tabbed as a starter, and then Fajardo comes in, and we all know what has happened since. But still, we need to look at those factors here. And Jones is really just talking about straight facts here. And I like how he's sharing his honest opinion. So many times we get in these situations, you get these canned coach speak quotes, and it's not the real, actual way that be it a general manager or a coach or a coordinator feels about a player, I like how Jones is showing his honesty. We need more of this. And I'm not necessarily asking everybody to do this because everybody has their own way to approach it. But when we get the honest take from a coach, in this case, Jones, then we can't have people turn around and say, oh, Jones is just trying to stir it up or Jones is taking a shot at somebody. He's just given us his unvarnished opinion. We need more of this potentially to drive ticket sales, to drive interest, Hodge. Like we well know, this was one of the most read stories on the website to start the new year. So even in the dead of winter when it's freezing cold on the prairies, and even in Edmonton it's been like 50 below, things are heating up in the rivalry. Yeah, when the weather gets cold, we need hot, spicy takes to thaw us out. And I agree with you on that we we do need more stuff like this the one thing i'll say just as a fact check and it's absolutely true that cody fajardo had better numbers in 2019 than he did in 2021 and and it's also true that Stephen mcadoo's offenses were great at edmonton they were very good with michael riley and matt nichols at the helm in 2014 and 2015 
Saskatchewan was at or close to the bottom of the CFL in offense in 16, 17, and 18, which I think is largely why Ryder Nation does not like Stephen McAdoo. So, again, I'm not suggesting that Chris Jones is 100% correct in defending Stephen McAdoo, uh, but I also do think that Stephen McAdoo deserves more credit than many in Ryder Nation are willing to give him. But we'll, we'll see. The proof will be in the pudding in 2022, how well Edmonton's offense does whoever is at the helm under quarterback. Simone Lawrence feels snubbed after Adam Big Hill was named the CFL's most outstanding defensive player. Dunkster, is that reasonable? If you're Simi Hove, of course it is. Now, I get where the media voted. And if I remember right, Adam Big Hill got 43 out of the 50 votes to be the CFL's MODP in 2021. It makes sense, right? He's a middle linebacker on the best defense the Blue Bombers may have potentially ever fielded. Hodge, you could speak more to that in a second. But if you're Simone Lawrence, you're looking at 2019 and 2021, ultra productive years, years he felt like he had better statistical seasons than the players he was going up against in 2019. It was Willie Jefferson. Now, I don't necessarily think we can always look at the statistics, but Lawrence's point is well taken here, I think, that what ends up happening is it becomes a popularity contest. Now, you can't always have it being exactly fair in the way that you want it, but that's kind of where these awards have gone to is either a popularity contest or, and I'm probably going to piss some people off saying this, but it's just the facts, people voting on these awards that should not have a vote. In my mind, that has been the case for a number of years now and guys that don't do the research. I'll give you an example. As much as I love the big boys up front and the offensive line, I'm not a guy that's grinding the coach's tape, the tight film that you need to watch every single game of every single offensive line in the league. So when I'm putting in my vote at the league level, I'm asking coaches and players and personnel types around the league who are actually sitting in the dark room watching the film either game planning or grading their own teams who are the best in the league in the trenches and that said for every other spot on the field because I want my vote to go to the most deserving guy not necessarily the guy that was the flashiest or is the guy that is charismatic and has the most media members liking him or heck might even lead the league in a certain category not one category should an award winner make so that's how I go about it and I think it's time here to either have the votes cast in a public way where the ballot gets put out there or we shake up who's voting for it and I'll go down another little bit of a rabbit hole here it's similar to the Grey Cup MVP and the Grey Cup uh, MVC most valuable Canadian. It ends up being a, in my mind, lazy vote. And we saw it this year. Do I think that Zach Caleros was the MOP of the league? Yes. Was he the most valuable player for the Blue Bombers in the Grey Cup? Yeah. I would say no. Nick Dembski had a great turnaround in terms of that touchdown and shifting the momentum. But I don't necessarily even know if he was the most valuable Canadian in the game. Hodge, I think you would disagree with the sentiment in terms of how the voting went and be on my side there and pick two totally different guys that were more deserving to get those big time awards in the Grey Cup. Yeah, and 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 your points well taken. And this is going to be an issue for as long as as the voting is set up the way it is, because at the end of the day, 
we have non-football people making football decisions or football award decisions and in in the in the initial voting like the team voting the head coach of each club gets a vote and i think that's nice but of course if you only had personnel people or coaches voting especially and they're never going to vote in a public setting because they don't want it they don't want their their team their players to know who they're voting for uh you know they're I'm not sure you can always trust those people with those types of decisions because, of course, they have their own biases towards their own players or maybe their former players or things of that nature. So I think the best way to do it, Dunkster, is as you go about doing it, which is, you know, I do not get a vote for these things. Uh, largely, I do some, but not others. Um, you know, you, you ask the you ask personnel people, coaches, players, etc., who you trust. And they say, OK, look, I've broken this down X, Y and Z. Here's how I would vote. You take in you take in multiple people's opinion and you cast your vote. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, there is reputation voting at play. That being said, I think Adam Big Hill was deserving of this because the stats between the two players were essentially even. Simi had two more sacks, one more pick, and, and the tackles. Personally, I, I'm not a, I'm not a big tackles guy. Um, just ask Jasper Simmons how much tackles uh, mean in the CFL. It's, you know, if you're if you're playing <laughs> linebacker on a lousy defense, it's not hard to get 90 tackles in a season if you're always on the on the field. So I don't look at tackles; I look at other things. Uh, but at the end of the day, Adam Big Hill was a representative for arguably the greatest defense in the modern history of the CFL. Um, to me, I my vote actually would have gone. I didn't get a vote at the team level, but my vote would have gone to Jackson Jeffcoat. I thought Jackson Jeffcoat had a better season. Um, then Adam Big Hill on an individual level, but I think you could have given it to Big Hill, J- uh, Jackson Jeffcoat. I think you could have given it to Willie Jefferson, and honestly, I think you could have given it to Brandon Alexander. Giving that award to a safety has never been done before at the league level, but Alexander had a sensational season. So I also get the other side of it, which is maybe maybe not looking at at it as much of a personal award as a team award. Whoever the Bombers nominated was going to get that award at the league level. Does Simi deserve one? Before? Before he retires, yes, but sorry, Simi, you're going to have to look to 2022 if you want to get that award on your resume. I agree with essentially all of that, and it was difficult because the Bombers' defense was so good that I'm with you. No matter who got the individual award coming out of the team was going to get it at the league level because that team was just so dominant overall. That went for, you know, MOP was clearly Zach Claros, but really anybody, Mike O'Shea was a runaway coach of the year candidate. And in my mind, in terms of these awards, like I'll give you an example where I don't think we need to necessarily just always fall back in the quarterback, right? In the national semifinal, yes, it was a blowout, Canadian University football, Western St. Francis Xavier. The Mustangs rushed for like a crazy amount of yards on the ground. And the common thread between them was the offensive line. So Mark Lee, Coach Polo from Carleton, the defensive coordinator, and I in deciding who to give the MVP of the game to or the most outstanding player, I was like, well, it's got to be the offensive line, right? This is the common thread. I think there was three backs at or over 100 yards in that game. And we're going, it's got to be the offensive line. You can only give it to one player. So we gave it to the center, who is the leader, Elliot Beamer, of that group. And in my mind, that was cool. There was no way that Elliot Beamer woke up that day thinking he was going to be the MVP of the Mitchell Bowl, I believe it was. Make sure I got my geography white, right? But he was really, and his group, the most deserving on that day. So I hope that in the future, 
And I think for the most part at the league level in terms of the individual awards in the CFL, they were given to the most deserving people. But I hope in the Grey Cup and these kinds of awards discussions in the future, we can give it to whoever is most deserving. Take the politics out of it. I get it. It's probably not possible, but I'd like to see it. Anyways, moving on. The Argos released Charleston Hughes, who turned 38 following the 2021 season. Is this the end of the road for Hughes, or is age just a number? I think we've reached the end of the road for Charleston Hughes, and I'm not saying that to be a hater. Charleston Hughes is a first ballot inductee into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. He's had a remarkable career, remarkable longevity, but I think the first red flag came at the start of the season when when Charleston Hughes was simply not 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 noticeable along that front seven in Toronto because Hughes the last few seasons, and I mean the guy put up 31 total sacks over the last two years with the Riders in, in 18 and 19, um, which is remarkable. I believe that's the most of anybody over those two seasons, but his his you know, the knock on him was he started out ripping hot and then he would cool as the season went on, likely to do with his age to some extent. And he wasn't noticeable at the start of this year. And by the end of the year, he was a healthy scratch at times. And frankly, you know, he put up two sacks to, to end the year. I, I'm, I'm going to miss watching Charleston Hughes. He's a great personality. He's an engaging guy. He, he's, he's, again, a Hall of Fame caliber talent. But no, do I think he can be productive in 2022 at the age of 38? No, not, not given what he put on the field in 2021. I just got to be honest. He potentially could as a rotational guy, but to me, what really stuck out here was Hughes openly admitting going into the season, I remember talking to him about it, that he maybe didn't stay as in shape as he should have in the pandemic. And I mean, we all had our struggles through it in various ways and different things. And it was clear that Hughes was looking to make sure that he was setting up his life after football, right? I don't think he necessarily had fallen out of love with football, but I don't think he was staying in tip-top shape, and he even admitted it. So I remember having that in the back of my mind, and then now that it's come to this point where he's been released by the team and didn't have a productive season, especially after, and I would think he would say this too, running his mouth against the Rough Riders after they <laughs> let him go, and it turns out that Jeremy O'Day wasn't a year early or a year late. He was bang on with this decision. That said, if Hughes would have signed the contract that O'Day offered in and around, you know, 150, 160, he probably would have been playing in Saskatchewan. But we got to give credit to O'Day here that he wasn't willing to go past his number because that was the value he felt Hughes had. And he didn't even play up to that value in 2021, in all honesty. Love the guy. He's been a great character for the league. It would be intriguing to me to see a team potentially bring him in, let's say, for, I'm just throwing an idea out here, but $100,000 and use him as that rotational piece, as I was saying, because we know we can still get after the quarterback. The issue, I think, in my mind now is can he make it through an entire and a full season, hopefully we get one, 18 games going to be much different than this shortened 14 game schedule that we went through during the pandemic. Well, and he was he was highly paid in in 2021. He was the fourth highest paid defensive end in the league behind only Willie Jefferson, Jagera Davis and Kwaku Boateng, the Canadian and Edmonton. So to to me that that is the question dunkster. Is Charleston Hughes willing to play for, you know, $80,000? If so, I'm sure there's somebody out there who wants him. 
but obviously his days of making 150, 175, 200 are long since gone. So that that to me is the question, and I know for most veterans at that point, they choose to walk away rather than accepting that, that massive pay cut. So if this is the end, Charleston, allow me to be the first to congratulate you on a Hall of Fame career. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2019, Alex Singleton made his NFL postseason debut in a 17-9 loss to the Seattle Seahawks. The Calgary Stampeders selected the Montana State product sixth overall in the 2016 CFL draft, and he became the team's starting middle linebacker midway through his rookie season. The two-time CFL All-Star departed for the NFL after capturing a Grey Cup with Calgary in 2018 and after a stint on Philadelphia's practice roster was promoted to the active roster for the final 10 games of that season. He's since been a regular starter for the Eagles in 2020 and 2021 and currently leads the team, which is sitting in a playoff spot at 9-7, in tackles on the year dunkster did you ever think we'd reach a point where alex singleton was leading an nfl team in tackles honestly all the way back in 2016 it would have been hard to see that because he had been through the nfl and there were some people that were saying that he wasn't thick enough but in today's nfl it makes a ton of sense he's still racking up those tackles with the eagles and honestly seems like he's in line for a big time contract in the offseason And I hope he gets it. And if you want to upgrade in your life, you need to get to Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube is going to do a great job taking care of your vehicle, all of your needs, get those fluids topped up for wintertime, get those tires checked. They have all the answers. Take it into Jiffy Lube. Do us a favor. Tell them that 3 Down Nation sent you. Yeah, you know, I was talking about it being 50 below in Edmonton for a little while there during the holidays. And I was telling my sister, hey, like, I went to Jiffy Lube. It's not as cold here, but got fresh oil change and ready to go. So setting her there out at Edmonton, her car's been running great. Not that I know what it's like to live in that cold day-to-day, Hodge, but it seems like Jiffy Lube got her in and out in a Jiffy, and the car's been running smooth despite those frigid temperatures, man. Oh, it's been miserable. I don't think Manitoba has had a low above minus 25 since Christmas. We are in deep freeze it's COVID. We can't leave our houses. It's uh, it's fun times, Dunkster, fun times. On that note, it's time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. You reported that Corey Mace is joining the Toronto Argonauts as their new defensive coordinator. Is that a good hire? It is a really good hire. Mace is beloved around the league as a dude, and I'm curious to what he can do when he's got a whole defense under his knee. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers brought back assistant general managers Ted Gabay and Danny McManus on two-year contract extensions. Big deal? Oh, it's a huge deal. Uh, I think I think a lot of people around the league were surprised that the Bombers were able to retain their key personnel men. And honestly, I've talked to some people who are annoyed, who figured, okay, these guys are going to get hired elsewhere. Winnipeg will come down. They're frankly upset that Winnipeg was able to retain them. Jeremiah O'Day said the Riders didn't have a crystal ball to see how Zach Kolaris would recover from his concussion in 2019. Is that fair or no? 
It certainly is. There was no way to know that Kleros was going to bounce back and become a two-time Grey Cup champ and an MOP. That said, the decision was a lot different when you had Cody Fajardo in front of you and you essentially had new, at least going into offseason, that you had to pick one. So they deal with Toronto, he ends up in Winnipeg. The rest, as they say, is history and it's still being written by Caleros, but it's intriguing and it shows that even when you assume somebody's done, and you know, we talked about it with Hughes, and that might be a little different because he's 38, you never really know. The Argos released former NFL receiver Martavis Bryant. Surprised or not? Nah. Wah, wah, wah. I, I think the biggest, I mean, first of all, this was a weird story from the start, but the biggest red flag was last offseason when he was playing while under contract with the Argos in the arena in the arena football league which is not allowed or at least an indoor football league of some variety and uh, apparently nobody cared he was allowed to stay under contract with toronto though he obviously never reported to the team the riders brought back starting weak side linebacker micah tights on a deal that will pay him one hundred fifteen thousand dollars in 2022 as a ratio breaker that seems like a bargain doesn't it Yes, sir, my man. Are you kidding me? Get a dude that played like that for just 115 k Sign me up. Any team in the league would have liked that deal, I think. Or most teams, I should say. The Edmonton Elks unveiled G-Roy Simon as their new assistant general manager. Smart hire, eh? Absolutely. I think G-Roy has been ready for a larger role for a while. He's already got some fingerprints on that team, signing David Foucault and a few other former BC Lions. I'm interested to see how that looks through 2022. Derek Dennis finally got what he wanted, Dunkster. His release from the Edmonton Elks, he's been asking for it for a year. Will we see him in the CFL in 2022? It's possible. There are some teams that have some issues at tackle, and we'll have to see. Do they want to go veteran or bring in some young guys that they might like on the neg list or from NFL cuts or the fresh influx from the NCAA? But I think there's a chance. Western University defensive lineman Deontay Knight has been invited to the East-West Shrine Bowl down in the U.S. of A. Could that boost his draft stock on both sides of the board? Absolutely, it could. The 2022 NFL draft is pretty loaded. The NFL, or the pardon me, the 2022 CFL draft is not. So if he gets that NFL look, awesome. If he doesn't, I think his stock is going to be remarkably high in Canada in 2022. If for no other reason. Then there's not a lot, particularly along the defensive line, not a lot of talent out there with a first-round grade. Jeff Reinbold elected not to return as the special teams coordinator in Hamilton, though it's possible we'll still see him in the CFL next year. Do you think we'll see him back in the league? Wee wee, that is your hint on that question. (laughs) Canadian offensive lineman Drew Desjardins has been contacted by over 10 NFL teams for workouts. That said, he won't be able to make it to all of those franchises who want to bring him in. Think he signs the contract south of the border? I think he will. I do. I think he's young enough. And I think in today's NFL, you know, you don't have to be six foot seven and weigh 350 pounds to play guard. He's athletic. That's what teams want. I do think he's going to get signed. Last one. Steel company Stelco now has a 40% ownership stake in the Hamilton Tiger Cats with incumbent owner Bob Young retaining the majority ownership of the team. Is that positive news for the CFL? It is certainly is because you have an interested company and i know this is the section where we normally go short hodge but i don't mind if we go a little longer here because this number 40 percent 
was not stated in the Tiger Cats press release about the reorganization, let's say, of their assets along with Forge FC, the Canadian Premier League team that they have in Hamilton that plays soccer, not this American kind of football, obviously. So the fact that it wasn't in there to me was surprising, but it was in the Stelco release. So it shows me that Bob Young is setting up the team for him to be able to move on at some point. Got to remember, he's 62, and ever since he's taken ownership of the franchise and been the majority owner the entire time except until now, or been the only owner, I should say, up until now, he's wanted to make the Tiger Cats into a better franchise overall and one that has financial stability. But the fact that 40%, essentially, that Young has sold off here has flown under the radar to me, it should not be under the radar. This is a big deal. I'm really curious, and we'll probably never know, how much Stelco paid for their 40%. But it is certainly a positive for the CFL that another company, as big as Stelco is in Canada, wants to get involved. And Alan Kestenbaum, it should be said, is the CEO of Stelco. He actually has a minority ownership in the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL. So he's interested in football. From what Young said, he loves the Tiger Cats. But to me, the bigger story here is Young setting up essentially his exit strategy, selling off 40%. Don't you think that's a big number? It is a big number. I mean, you, you want to retain majority ownership. I fully get that. But at the end of the day, Dunkster, I look at it the same way as you do. If you have vested, interested partners who want to get into the CFL, I mean, I think there's kind of been this narrative painted the last few years where, oh, you couldn't give away a CFL team. They're not necessarily making money. And it's like, well, I don't know. Last I checked, Amar Doman, you know, the longest for the longest time, right, in BC, the narrative was nobody wants to buy this team. Well, Amar Doman has revealed that he, he was trying to buy that team for, for a long time, right, from the late David Braley. So I think it's great if organizations want to get in. And if Bob Young wants to have an exit strategy, that's perfectly fine because Bob Bob Young has done a tremendous amount for the CFL, owning and operating that team as their owner or as he likes to call them uh, or call refer to himself as the caretaker of that team. So I only see this as a positive. We need more partners in the CFL, more corporate people in the CFL, making sure that these teams perform the best that they possibly can. Yes, sir. Well said. We'll see you all next Wednesday for the next episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.